This is the podcast for Woodland Presbyterian Church in Memphis, Tennessee. We are maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. We hope you enjoy the message, and if you'd like to learn more about our church, look us up at woodlandpres.org. Thanks so much. May the Lord bless you. We are considering some of Jesus' most famous words in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, This sometimes has been referred to as the, the constitution of the kingdom, the kingdom of God, which is God's eternal reign uh, that extends throughout the universe that he initiates and consummates through his son, Jesus Christ, who he sent to live and to die and to rise and to conquer and to live in and through us as his people. And so as his followers, we're trying to navigate a a cultural moment, uh, the place where we live, uh, the family that we live in, the place where we work. How are we called to be faithful in this day, in this moment? of time. And we look across the landscape of culture and we think, well, there's either one side or the other side that I've got to be on, right? There's, uh, there's one side. And it was the same in Jesus' day in terms of those who were trying to practice their faith, right? There were uh, the Pharisees who really had a strict observance of the law. And Jesus' challenge to the Pharisees was that they wanted to look outwardly righteous and they wanted to look to God's law as the way of justifying themselves but inwardly, their hearts were not for God. They didn't have a heart of compassion, a heart of generosity, a desire to, to share and to care and to serve. They wanted to be, have the appearance of being holy and righteous. And on the other side of the, the theological divide were the Sadducees. And they, they didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in miracles. And so it's almost as though they just kind of said, well, whatever we think ought to happen, ought to happen. And there's this sense that everything goes and God can work in areas, whatever. But really, there's, the miraculous isn't a thing. It's just go about being uh, faithful. And we can see that kind of appearing within the church today, within culture today. There's either this hard side over here or there's the soft side over here. But what Jesus, I think, is sharing with us through his life and witness is a third way. But it's not a middle way. It's not, hey, let's get rid of the law and kind of do whatever we want to do. It's, there's a law that's there. It's God's standard for what it means for us to live under his authority. Uh, And it's not this other uh, way of just saying, well, let's just be externally um, righteous or try to make ourselves look good. Uh, There's this other way that Jesus is calling us to is a life in his very presence. And and like I mentioned at the beginning of our service, that the amazing thing that God does is he invites us into his very presence. And that should be and is for us an encounter with the holy. And there's a sense in which the reason we include a prayer of confession in our order of worship each Sunday, it's an opportunity for us to acknowledge and to realize that, yes, we stand before a holy God. And that should bring a sense of awe if not even fear or dread upon us when we think about our own sinfulness and our own brokenness. And yet because of the grace of God in Jesus Christ, that Jesus paid the price for our sin, that he hung on the cross and he rose from the dead, that not only can we enter into the presence of God, but we can do so with confidence because of what Jesus has done. So yes, there's sin in our lives. Yes, there's brokenness. But because of what Christ has done, we live in freedom and in joy. And so, yes, we, we observe the law. We recognize that we can't fulfill it on our own power. It's only because of what Jesus did on the cross. But when we understand that, then we want to live a holy and righteous life, to go out into the world, to be his agents of peace and reconciliation. 
And so the world does not need another talking head from either end of the perspective. What the world needs is more people who are saying, yes, Lord, you've claimed me, you've called me, and you've now sent me out into the world. You've sent me into this very family. You've sent me into this neighborhood. You've sent me into this workplace or to this classroom or to be on this team. As your image bearer, as a person who's been redeemed, who's been set apart for this work. And what a privilege and joy it is for us then to engage and to encounter the people that we know that God has sovereignly put into our lives. And so as we consider in every sermon, what is it that God is saying to you? How is God inviting you into his presence to encounter him and to listen to him and to then respond in obedience to say, Lord, what would you have me to do in light of who you are? Because God wants to equip and empower each one of us to be the people he's called us to be with our unique gifts, with your unique talents and perspectives to say, I'm the person who's essentially an ambassador. What do ambassadors do? They're, they're representing someone. And that's what we do as ambassadors of Christ. We represent Jesus wherever we are. And of course, we do that imperfectly, don't we? But that's part of the gospel message too, is that when we offend or we hurt, we say, you know, I shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry. And that's in of itself a witness. So the reason we're looking at this sermon, this sermon on the Mount is to think through how do, we, how do we equip ourselves and to be encouraged to be those kinds of people to see a cultural transformation, to see a renewal, to see a revival, to see God's hand at work in our midst and to realize that God has called us. That's our, ch that's our challenge. That's our mission if you choose to accept it. So let's turn now to God's word. We're looking at uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 34. If you're able, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. And if that made you nervous, that call that I just gave to you, just hear these words, okay? Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor what about what your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. The word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Uh, this ongoing constant reminder that you are continuing to speak throughout the ages, throughout the years, and even into our lives and hearts this morning. We pray that you would enable us to not only hear what it is you're saying to us, 
but then we would be able to respond in light of what you've said to be obedient, uh, to do the thing that you've called us to do, to live the way you've called us to live. So give us the confidence and courage to be able to apply what we're learning this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hakuna Matata. Right? Hakuna Matata, right? This movie came out in 1994. It was redone last year, The Lion King. And it's this phrase uh, that reminds us. It's actually a Swahili phrase that is translated literally, there are no worries. Right? There are no worries. Hakuna Matata, friends. Right? You know, you've heard uh, people say, uh, no worries. No worries, man. That's a Jamaican phrase uh, that, that was often said. You know, back in the 80s, uh, who was it that said, uh, don't worry, be happy? That song, remember that one? Uh, it seems like there are these songs and phrases in culture because there's a tendency for us to be anxious. There's a tendency for us to be worried or concerned or fearful about what's going on in life. Uh, once Time Magazine published a cover story on the presence of anxiety in America. The article was entitled Guilt and Anxiety. It stated that the breakdown of faith in God and in reason, coupled with the accelerated pace and high tension of modern life, have produced intense anxiety in many, many millions of people. So much so that it would be correct to call worry one of the most widespread and debilitating ailments of our time. Listen to what Time wrote, and I quote, Not merely the black statistics of murder, suicide, alcoholism, and divorce betray anxiety, but almost any innocent everyday act, the limp or overhardy handshake, the second pack of cigarettes or the third martini, the forgotten appointment, the stammer mid-sentence, the wasted hour before the TV, the new car unpaid for. The writers added, these symptoms are intensified, intensified for many of us by the dominant American myths that the old can grow young, the indecisive can become leaders, that housewives can become glamour girls, that glamour girls can become actresses, and that the slow-witted can become intellectuals. You can tell in the language being used, this wasn't an article that came out last year. 1961, Time Magazine did a cover story on the anxiety of our age. 1961, so what is anxiety? Uh, in English, anxiety is extreme uneasiness of mind or brooding fear about some contingency, according to Merriam-Webster. Someone once called anxiety fear in search of a cause. I like that. Fear in search of a cause. In Greek, the word means to divide, to separate into parts, to cut into pieces. Do you ever feel pulled apart emotionally? What are we anxious about? Well, <laughs> what are we not anxious about maybe is a better way of coming up with an answer. We're anxious about big stuff, right? Uh, the economy, politics, the future, the past, the present, our retirement, our neighborhood, our city, our families, big things, but little things. Why didn't she talk to me? 
you think something's wrong? Is something going on? She didn't say hi to me. Did you hear how he said that? Was something off in his voice? I feel anxious about that. You know, my boss, he doesn't normally do that. What, is something going on? My child has been acting differently. What's happening there? We can just go on and on and be anxious about almost anything. A Harris survey asked a cross-section of Americans to tell them what worries them the most. 70% said they worry about wasting too much time watching TV. About the same number stated they worried about not reading enough, not attending church regularly enough, and not being active enough in community affairs. That survey was done in 1996. Do you think we waste more, wasted more time in 1996 or more time now? And no one in the survey expressed concern about their own personal sins or any future judgment from God. Now, Brandy and I were having a conversation. She was uh, talking about a book that, that she's uh, encountered. And one of the issues that we face in culture is that we're living in the moment. We're so much thinking about what's happening in culture, what's happening in the news, that we've disconnected ourselves from the past. We're losing an ability to be framed in light of history, and we're not thinking anymore about what's going to happen in the future. So it's difficult for us to set goals, or much less to think about our eternity, because we're consumed with the moment. If you ever read the book, Amusing Ourselves to Death, it was just a, a diatribe about the damage that television is causing. And the book was written in 1985. He was sounding the alarm saying, we're watching too much TV. And this is back when we had three or four channels. No, there was nothing on demand. You can watch any movie, anytime, anywhere. Some of you are watching Netflix right now. Just kidding, no. A couple laughs in there, right? But you could if you wanted to. We would, we would have a conversation. But this, we're just consumed with the moment and what has happened to us. It's made us anxious, right? And I, I like to be abreast of what's going on in the world. I like looking at the news, but I also recognize that there's so much information that I'm taking in that I, I can't do anything about. And it just makes me anxious. I heard a story, a guy, a pastor from Australia that I like, his name's Mark Sayers, and he was talking about anxiety and culture and how things can get overblown really easily in, uh, in an online culture in which we live. And he was traveling from Australia to the West Coast, and he had to stop, uh, I think, in Hawaii. And while he was there at the airport in the bathroom, there was a, an earthquake that took place in the airport. It wasn't that significant, but he got on the plane, and by the time he had landed in his, the, the other airport in the West Coast, the whole world had learned that there was an, a massive earthquake in Hawaii, and everyone was worried about it. But he experienced it and wasn't worried about it, but it had been amplified by our media culture in such a way that people who weren't even there were feeling nervous about it. And how many times have you felt anxious about something that has nothing to do with you that you have no control over? Now, I don't know if you guys are like me, but like, that's happened to me. Oh no, there's violence in Romania. Where is Romania? <laughs> right? That can happen to us so much. And I'm not saying don't watch the news. I'm just saying be careful about how much news you watch. So here in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says to his followers, to, to, he's saying to you, don't be anxious. 
Don't be anxious about your life, about what you eat, about what you'll drink, nor about what your, your body or what you will put on. Now, it's a good thing for us to remember that some of the worry Jesus' followers might have about eating and drinking is different than the worry that we have about eating and drinking, right? Our concern with eating and drinking is, I'm eating and drinking too much, and I've got to take care of that reality because I'm eating too much. Well, their worry is probably different. They're thinking, am I going to eat? Will I have enough food to provide for my family? What am I going to have for dinner. For us, it's a matter of, you know, that conver- it's an anxiety-producing conversation. What are we going to have for dinner? What do you want? I don't know. What do you want? Where do you want to go? I don't want to go. I don't really care. How about this place? No, I don't want to go there. How about this place? No, I don't want to go there. But I don't really care. We can go anywhere. Like, that just raises our anxiety. But that's different than what they were facing. Because they're looking around going, man, the fridge is totally empty right now. Right? There's no fridge. It's like, what are we going to harvest? And Jesus is saying to them, don't worry about that. Right? Don't worry about that. Their concern is they may not have anything because they're susceptible to drought, to floods, to war. Many of those things impact how much food there is. Like, remember what was it a year ago? It was like there was no meat at the store because someone said there's not going to be any meat or any toilet paper. So then people buy tons of both. And you're like, where's the chicken? I gotta get some chicken. What am I gonna do? We literally bought rice and beans. I was like, you know what? I'm gonna buy bunches of rice and beans just in case. And I threw them away a couple of months ago. Sorry, they were just, I don't know. So Jesus tells us, he gives us this example, like an illustration. Okay, how do we not be anxious? He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. He said, just look around. Look at the beauty of the creation that God has made, the vast oceans, the plains, the forests, the mountains. Everything is under God's control. Just listen. You hear the birds? They love to get, make a house in the portico. It's an ongoing challenge. All the birds, every bird, every single bird is being cared for by the hand of God. And not just the birds, but all the animals, the big ones, the little ones. God is looking after all those animals. And he's created a world where they can live and flourish. And if God is providing for them, don't you think God can provide for you. Here, here's why I noticed that I was observing some birds uh, in a birdhouse one time. Here's what it doesn't mean. Uh, it doesn't mean sit around and do nothing. Because if you've ever seen a bird, birds are not just hanging out, like, you know, drinking tea on the back porch. What do birds do? They are working like crazy. In and out of this birdhouse, in and out, right? Because there's a, there's a baby bird in there tweeting, and that baby bird needs something to eat. So mama bird's going out, daddy bird's going out. They're coming back and forth, back and forth. They're working. They're not worried about it. They're not anxious about it. But they, so that means that we are called to work and to strive and to do the things God calls us to do, but we're not anxious about it, right? Because work is a gift that God has given to us. So we go about our working in a healthy way, but we're not stressed about it because we know that God is going to provide for us. Because if God cares about the birds, then God cares about you. Jesus says, are you not more valuable to God than these birds? I think he's asking that question because the answer is, yes, we are more valuable to God than those birds. I'm not trying to diminish the creation in any way. Matt said birds are bad and people are good. Cancel Matt. Um, I'm not saying that. Jesus says it. 
right, try to cancel Jesus. You can't do it. He says, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? Right? What good does worry do you? Let's take a survey. How many of you have added an hour to your life because of worry? See, no one raised their hand. Perfect. A British clinic did an examination of 500 patients and confirmed that one-third of the visual problems were caused by emotional tension. People can't see because of emotional tension. Uh, Dr. Fosdick of Northwestern University has proven conclusively that worry restricts the flow of saliva, causing tooth decay because natural mouth acids are not properly neutralized. Just think, if you just have a peaceful life, you'll never have to go to the dentist again. And right, dentists make us feel anxious. We'll just salivate in the proper way and you'll be fine. A survey of 5,000 students in 21 different colleges confirms that worriers get the lowest grades. It's probably a self-perpetuating cycle. You get a lower grade, then you're going to worry. Oh, I'm not going to, whatever. Anxiety produces many different physical effects. Shortness of breath. Everyone take a deep breath. Thank you, Gina. That's a good one. Shaking, chest and stomach pain, dizziness. All these physical things that worry brings about in our lives. So then Jesus gives us another illustration. Don't worry about your clothing. You know, now I believe they're not as concerned with like, what am I going to wear because I've got all these things to wear, right? You look at the closet full of clothes and you say, I have nothing to wear, right? Their concern is, I have nothing to wear. It's different. But Jesus says, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, They don't toil or spin, and yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Jesus is challenging his followers. He's challenging us to consider that God is constantly caring for all of his creation. This idea that God is caring for every single thing that he's made, it's a big uh, seminary word called sovereignty, right? But it's an awesome word to be acquainted with. The idea that God is sovereign over all things, meaning that he is ruling and in power over all that happens in the world. He is on the throne. Ephesians 1 said, he's directing all things after the counsel of his own will. Psalm 135 says, whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deeps. Job 42, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Psalm 115, our God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. This idea that God is supreme, that he's sovereign, that he can do everything is a beautiful and glorious idea. John Calvin said that God sustains all creation in its being. Apart from him, it would be dissolved. God daily bestows life and ability to all things as it pleases him. Apart from him, nothing could have life and existence. God guides all things to their appointed end. Calvin further taught that even though God sustains and guides the whole world and every individual, his providential care is particularly focused on the church where he manifests his divine purposes. Listen to what it says in Daniel chapter four. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing 
and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? God is sovereign. He's over everything. He's over yesterday. He's over today. He's over tomorrow. He's over you. And so when Jesus says, don't be anxious, he's not just saying, hey, don't worry, be happy, as though we could actually do that. How many times did you hear that song and it didn't actually work? You can't just say, hey, don't be anxious. It's like saying uh, to someone who's crying, don't cry. What is <laughs> oh, oh, I'm sorry, I'll stop crying now. There's a reason why they're crying. There's a reason why we're anxious. And if we just say, don't be anxious, we'll never not be anxious. What we've got to do is to remember that God is sovereign. Jesus isn't just giving us a hakuna matata. He's giving us through his word and through his, his life an understanding of the character of God and how he wants to work in and through the world. He's not saying, just don't be anxious. He's saying, remember that by being in relationship with me, you're in relationship with the creator. And because I'm sovereign, I'm over all these challenges that you're facing, all the worry that you experience, all the things that are causing you difficulty and harm. I am over all of those things. And why do I allow challenging things to happen in your life? So that you'll trust in me. You'll not try to fix the problem and to, and to just make it work. I want you to trust in me, and you, you can trust in me. See, the problem with just saying, don't worry about it, is that we're not really dealing with the root issue of why we're anxious in the first place. We're anxious because we're failing to trust in God. We don't really believe that God is sovereign, that he's going to see things through to the end, that he's going to provide in every way, that he can work through the conflict, or that he can give us the resources, or he can get us through this season. We don't really believe that he can. And so we're looking to other things, say, oh, if I can just fix the situation or if I can address this problem on my own. But God is saying, look, trust in me. Give it to me. So what are you most worried about right now? What's the thing that is causing you to lose sleep at night? What is the thing for you to improperly salivate in your teeth, right? What is the thing that's causing you anxiousness, worry, or fear? Is it your children? What's going on with my kids? Are they going to make it in life? If your children are young, you're thinking, how are they going to turn out? If your children are adults, you're thinking, man, are they going to make it? If they're very, very, very small, you're wondering, what kind of world do we live in where I'm going to raise this child? Do these children love me? How do I, how do I deal with this? You see, it's not wrong to care for and love your children, right? That's a, that's a value that we have is to invest in the next generation. God puts people in our family for us to encourage and to love. That's a good thing. The problem comes when we make our children an ultimate thing, right? I'm getting my identity from my children. Like if they're successful, that means I'm a good parent. If they get the hit or hit the winning basket, then I've done a good job. When in reality, we're wanting to shape and form the character of our children. It's not about whether or not they got an A or they hit the winning run, but whether they play with sportsmanship, whether they're respectful, whether they love God and want to serve. If we make children an ultimate thing, they're going to let us down, and we're going to try too hard to fix them and to make them right, and we're going to smother them and make them want to run away from us as soon as they have the opportunity. But if we see them as gifts that we are called to steward and then we're entrusting them to the Lord, 
then we're going to have a good balance about caring for them and encouraging them, setting appropriate boundaries for them, but not being all up in their business all the time. Are you most worried about your job right now? What's happening at work? Or maybe what isn't happening at work? Or is it, is it a relationship that you're struggling with? Or maybe it's the lack of a relationship that's causing you anxiety. Your finances, your health, what is it? We spend all this emotional energy thinking about and trying to figure out how to address our problems on our own, anxious. And God says, bring these things to me because there is already He's already got them. More of it is an acknowledgement of entrusting these things to the Lord. See, in order to really obey this command that Jesus makes three times in this section, do not be anxious, we've got to consider what is it in my life that I'm really looking to for peace? If you're looking to your children for your peace, then you're going to be really worried all the time that they're not going to be successful, whatever that definition of success is in your mind. You might be worried that something bad is going to happen to them because, and if it, and if it did, you wouldn't be able to go on. You might be anxious they're going to reject you, and if they did, it would be debilitating. So instead of looking to your children, instead of looking to your job, instead of looking to that relationship or looking to the thing that you're really longing for, where are we to look? We look to Jesus the sovereign king of the universe. We are fully complete in Jesus, right? If my children are successful, that's great. If they're not successful, I'm still, I'm still fully complete in Jesus. I'm not defined by what they do. I'm not defined by what you think I do. I'm defined by Jesus. And when I'm defined by Christ, then I have peace. And that means, then like a bird, I can work as hard as I can to do the things that I think God has told me to do and not worry about it. Because I'm doing what Jesus told me. I'm walking in obedience. Right? And the Sermon on the Mount for me is a couple of things. It's a, it's a recognition that we're never going to be good enough to climb the mount. Right? We can't do it. The standard is too high. And that's why we need Jesus. But because Jesus has come to us, even though we're not worthy, then in light of that, then I want to do my best to serve him and to glorify him. That means with my children, I want to do the things that I can to ensure that they love God and they can flourish in this world. Or at my role as pastor that I can pray for and encourage you to be the very best pastor that I can be, to encourage you to say, Lord, what, is, what do you have for me? But I'm not defined by any of those roles. None of you are defined by any of the roles you have. And the tendency for us, though, is to, to be defined by that. I was talking with my, my brother's friend from high school. Called me out of nowhere. I haven't talked to this guy in 30 years. And he said to me, he's like, yeah, I was talking to Joel, my brother. And he said, you know, he said that you could maybe help me. Because, you know, I've been working for this big company for 30 years. And I, and I just got laid off. I'm 53 years old. I just got laid off. He goes, you know, I'm praying. I'm asking God to help me. But I, it's really, really hard. And I said, yeah, I go, you, we don't realize how much we're defined by what we do until it's taken away. And I said, but what, what a gift you have at this moment, because now you can say, Lord, what do you want to teach me about who I am? I go, are you passionate about what you do? He goes, no, I'm not passionate about what I do. I'm like, well, then what a gift. Now you can do what you're passionate about, because for all these years, you've been making lots of money, but you don't really care about your work. Wouldn't it be great to say, Lord, I want to do the very thing that you feel, that I feel called to do? I go, he goes, yeah, I know. It's been funny because some people have been calling me saying that they're envious that I got laid off. 
because there's a sense of freedom for him right now. So what would it look like for us to experience that freedom right in the place where we are without having to get laid off, right? That would stink. You know, we, we got to provide for our families and do, but for have that posture towards our work or towards our family or towards our ministry that we would say, this doesn't define me, so I'm not anxious about it. In fact, I'm fully complete where I am. What a gift that is to have that freedom. We're not in prison to the things that, that make us stressed out because nothing stresses us out. We're too blessed to be stressed. I saw that on a t-shirt one time on a guy in Orlando who was homeless. Too blessed to be stressed. What a great posture that is. See, when we look to Jesus, we recognize that we're whole, we're valuable, we're significant, we're loved, we're cherished. What is worrying does, it just takes that, it strips that away. It, it, it changes our ability to see Jesus. When we see how, how much Jesus did to accomplish victory for us and to come to us and to help us to see that, when we have a great sense of peace and we have a great sense of joy, he says, verse 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. What does it mean to seek first the kingdom of God? of God. What is the kingdom of God? Well, I talked about it at the beginning of the sermon. It's the reign of God that he has established because he is sovereign. He is over the whole world. It's his right and he has the authority to do whatever he pleases. And as his subjects, we live under that authority. We live under it. We live in Jesus in wholeness. And it's expressed most plainly in the Beatitudes, right? Those are the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor, the persecuted, the peacemakers, the pure in spirit, the meek, the mournful, the merciful. The kingdom is revealed in the person of Jesus Christ, who calls his followers to pursue him and to trust that his provision is worth more than their effort. So when you have a kingdom of God mindset, when you realize that what worries you is actually an opportunity for you to grow in faith, every single thing that produces anxiety in your life is an opportunity. If you're listening to God, to be conscious and to say, okay, I'm having that feeling again. What, God, are you trying to say to me? Because our emotions speak to us about the concerns of our heart, right? Um, what's the phrase, Brandy? Emotions are but not reliable. Feelings are real, but not reliable. You can't trust your feelings all the way, but they're indicators of something that's going on. So when you have that feeling, go, Lord, what are you wanting to teach me? What am I putting my trust in? Is it you or is it something else? It's an opportunity. And let me tell you, friends, when we begin to pay attention to the Holy Spirit, as he speaks to us, and we say, Lord, I am feeling anxious about tomorrow. I am feeling anxious about this conversation. And we say, Lord, please take this from me or lead me through this. Then we become the kind of people that God can use. We don't have to be brilliant or smart or creative or super talented. We just need to be faithful to do what God tells us to do. And every single person in this room, every single person listening to this message, if you're in Christ, you have the power to be a difference maker in the world through the very small little things in life. Every single one of us. There's this uh, promise that Paul makes in Romans 8, 28. He says, and we know that in all things, God works together for good for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. 
I mean, if there was anybody who should be worried about life, it's the Apostle Paul. You got to be thinking about this. I mean, here's Paul. He left this amazing career in Judaism where he said, I was extremely zealous for the tradition of my fathers and it was advancing in Judaism beyond anyone of my own age. He says that in Galatians, right? I was the greatest at Judaism. And he left it because he saw that Jesus was more valuable. Did he leave a family? Did he leave his academic career? Did he leave his financial security? We don't know all that he left, but he left a lot to do what? To be faithful to Jesus in the way that Jesus had called him to be faithful. And guess what they did? If you read through the book of Acts and you see Paul's transformation and encounter with Jesus and then all the places that they would go, you got to go. They're just, man, they're totally trusting God. They're sailing on ships. They're being shipwrecked. He got bit by a snake. He's getting burned. There's a riot in Ephesus where for two hours the people are saying, great is uh, Artemis of the Ephesians. And and it says they didn't even know why they were there. And Paul's entering into this moment bringing the good news of Jesus. If there's anyone who could be anxious, it would be Paul. And yet he said this to the church in Philippi, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer, and supplication with thanksgiving let your request be made known to god and the peace of god which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in christ jesus right guard your heart your feelings and your mind in christ jesus so prayer supplication thanksgiving that's how we conquer anxiety as we acknowledge that the sovereign god of the universe is in relationship with us Paul knew that God was sovereign. His job was to walk faithfully and to know that these challenges are opportunities. And nothing can thwart the purposes of God. If you uh, go around Greenland, there are these icebergs that flow uh, around up there in the North Pole. And some of the icebergs are little, and some of the icebergs are gigantic. And if you observe them, uh, people have noticed that sometimes the smaller icebergs move in a different direction than the larger icebergs. It seems counterintuitive. You would think that they would all flow in one direction, but the smaller ones go this way and the larger ones sometimes go this way. And the explanation is simple. What moves the smaller icebergs are surface winds. The large masses of ice are carried along by deep ocean currents. When we face trials and tragedies, it's helpful to see our lives affected by two forces, surface winds and ocean currents. The winds represent everything that's changeable, everything that's unpredictable, all of the stresses that we can experience on the top part of the water. But operating simultaneously with the gusts and the gales is another force that's even more powerful, and it's the sure movement of God's wise and sovereign purposes. It's the deep flow of his unchanging love. And the deeper we go with God, the more connected to Jesus we are through the power of the Holy Spirit, the more we are moving around only because of those deep, that deep, unchanging flow. Doesn't mean the wind doesn't blow. Doesn't mean there aren't storms. But we're connected to the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from Woodland Presbyterian Church, maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. Again, if you'd like to learn more about our congregation, please visit us at woodlandpres.org. Thank you very much, and God bless you today.